0: Amen. All right, thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Hey, worship team, that was that was really great. Appreciated all of that. I love the the toe dip. Into the Christmas carols, right? It's kinda of like for some of us, it's like, I want some Christmas carols, I just don't want all of them right now, you know? So I appreciate holding that tension for us who are 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 just waking up to the Christmas season. So as Suzanne read, uh and, and I love that we do a candle lighting. It's it's very, very simple, very very straightforward, but I, but I love the ritual. Of the reading and the candle lighting, so I appreciate Suzanne uh, reading that and lighting the candle for us and juggling all the things to get that done. Uh, but as she mentioned, uh, this is the first Sunday in the Advent season, and so if you if you maybe grew up, Advent is is something a lot of uh, more liturgical churches practice, and so for some of us that didn't grow up in the church. Uh, or who grew up in what's called maybe the low church tradition where you just, you don't observe the, it's like Christmas and Easter are the things you observe on the church calendar. Um, this, this may be new language or new rituals and rhythms. And we're really trying to hold the tension between like, we're obviously not super high church. Cause I wear, you know, all black and air Jordans and, you know, <laughs> preach from an iPad. So it's like, we're, we're just trying to keep it real and authentic here, but we do think they're There's something rich and meaningful about the rhythms of the church calendar and we're trying to take And adopt and adapt what we can that makes sense for mosaic And so yeah, it's the first sunday of advent and as been mentioned We're going to be teaching through what's called the fifth gospel. We're going to look at advent Through the eyes of the prophet isaiah now before we get there I am just curious um, How many of you have your christmas trees up? Already. There's no booing and no judgment. Wow, that's amazing. That's really great. That's really great. We're really, really into this. Okay. How many of you have already pulled out your Christmas sweater? Or at least you know exactly where it is, when it is going to be called upon. Okay, there's a there's a couple of you, not as many. Um and have how how many have you of you have already started listening to Christmas music? Like it's on in your car, it's on in your house a little bit. Okay, that's good. Okay, trees. Sweaters, songs That's I think a pretty good representation And there's no judgment here One way or another Life is crazy There have been some years in in the past Where we get to like the week and a half before Christmas And we don't even have a tree yet. And it's like, no, we're doing this. It's tradition. It's important. And so we hightail it to Dylan's or whatever, and, and bring back a tree, you know, and, and we do it. And it's, it's, it just works out differently at different times and seasons in your life. So if you're, if you're like young parents and barely sleeping it's okay if you decorate the tree in your yard and call it good. Or it's like I showed up to church and there was a decorated tree I looked at. That's good too. We will count it. There's no judgment whatsoever. But if you go and you've got three trees in your house that are already decorated, like that's all right. that's great too. We're, we're totally here for that. Uh, at my house... My youngest son James, our youngest son James, is super into Christmas. Like he wakes up some morning in mid-October and it's, it's Christmas for him. Like he's already talking about dropping hints for his Christmas list. That Christmas list is completed. Mid November, he talked to me last Friday, so the day after Thanksgiving, and he said, so we're decorating this weekend, right? He, I think he picked up somewhere along the way, don't even talk to me about Christmas quite yet, I need to figure out Thanksgiving. So Friday, he's like, we're doing it, right? Like we're getting the stuff out of the attic, it's go time. He actually found, before we got decorations out, he found a Christmas hat in the back of our closet somehow, that had been there, and he started sleeping in it and wearing it to school, like he is, he's got these little snow globes that are his, his toy box in his room. I mean, he's, he's ready. I'm like, so, so when he's talking to me on Friday, I'm like, dude, I have leftover pie in the fridge. you got to give me a minute. Like there's no Christmas to leftovers from Thanksgiving are digested. Give me a day or two to work on that. Okay. And then we'll, then we can talk about it. That's just how it is. Everybody's different and there's no, there's no right or wrong answer to that. But for some of us, some of us, we're either into it or we know someone. Who's already watched half a dozen Hallmark movies and, you know, they're recounting the plot, which is one sentence because they're all kind of the same plot. They're like really into it. And then there's some of us that it's like, man, the kind of sugar-coated sweetness of of cultural Christmas or even sometimes how we practice it is a little much... And we're kind of wondering, some of us, I don't know if you're counted in, in, in and among this, how do, we, how do we manage the tension of our world where there's a literal war in the Middle East and in Europe? And we look at the news and it's overwhelming. And there are times where things are knocking at our door that's uncomfortable. There's anxiety. I mean, we just came out of a series on mental health. That doesn't just go away, right? Like, we don't just solve that in a five week series, and now it's on a Christmas, and let's, let's all be cheery. And so, we live in the real world, right? Uh, where we, we, we live out the commands of Jesus, we live out the Sermon on the Mount in the way of Jesus, and we, a lot of times, hold the tension of there is suffering in our world, there is suffering often, sometimes in our neighborhood and in our own lives. And yet we have hope. We have the hope of Christmas that Jesus came to interrupt the the powers of darkness. And we sit in that tension and we go, how do I, how do I grieve and have joy at the same time? How do I celebrate Christmas and center Jesus in, in all of the rush and all of the gifts and all of the things? And how do I not come off as a Grinch? To other people who are really into this right that that can be a tall order sometimes and I don't think any of us give it get it perfectly down But that's the tension that we maybe not solve In this series, but maybe just name and mention that this is a really hard time of year for a lot of people And this is a really joyful time of year for a lot of people and as the people of god we enter into reality and sit there alongside people and say yes this is hard and yet there's hope yes gift giving and decorating is awesome and yet that doesn't cover over the realities of the hardness of life for many people around the world and even here in the manhattan kansas area okay so Flemming rutledge says this in her book advent she says in the church this is the season of advent it's superficially understood as a time to get ready for christmas But in truth, it's the season for contemplating the judgment of God. Now, that sounds like a lot, so stick with me. Advent is the season that, when properly understood, does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us all in this world. Advent begins in the dark and moves toward the light. I love that. Let me read that again. Advent begins in the dark and moves toward the light. But the season should not move too quickly or too glibly. Lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of the darkness. As our Lord Jesus tells us, unless we see the light of God clearly, what we call light is actually darkness. How great is that darkness? Matthew 6. Advent bids us take a fearless inventory of the darkness, the darkness without, and the darkness within. So that's what we're going to talk about today and and on into the next few weeks of this series we're going to begin in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Now, I'll mention that it may seem odd to talk about the Christmas story and begin so so deeply uh, in the Old Testament. But that's where there there's just so many prophecies about the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're going to zero in on the book of Isaiah because it's rich and bold in its foreshadowing of the person and work of Jesus. And the New Testament, as a whole, relies on the prophet Isaiah over sixty-five times throughout. Throughout the words of Jesus, the writers uh, uh, of the New Testament quote from Isaiah sixty-five times. The more most of, of any other Old Testament uh, uh, a book or writing is, is quoting Isaiah. And in fact, the early church referred to some many uh, in the early church referred to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. Okay, Isaiah lived around seven hundred BC spending much of his ministry foretelling the impending destruction of Israel by the Babylonian army. His words about those terrible events were often woven throughout with a thread of hope about a future deliverer who would usher the kingdom back into the golden age. So Isaiah lived in this perilous time. Things seemed to be good for many people, and yet they, they in their hearts the nation had gone wayward. And so Isaiah foretold of a few things, that the Babylonian army, who seemed kind of insignificant... But after a while, spent three campaigns coming up against uh, Israel in Jerusalem and finally captured the people in uh, 586 BC and took a bunch of people out towards Babylon. Okay? And so he says this in the backdrop of all of the cultural conditions that are going on in Isaiah 9, verse 2, and then 6 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness on and forever. The zeal of the Lord almighty will accomplish this. So again, Israel tells the nation of Israel that there will be times of darkness coming very soon for them and it will cover the entire land. No one will be spared from its effects. And the fulfillment of this was the Babylonian army taking them captivity off to Babylon and, and really like humbling and humiliating the nation of Israel completely you know, like destroying cities and 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 you know all of their all of their hopes and dreams tied to that land and what they had hoped for their family to be able to pass on was interrupted and so they're experiencing this deep darkness and Isaiah says there will be this deep, deep darkness. It will touch the land and beyond. No one will be spared and it will be, it will not be an overnight problem that will be solved. He continues though and he, he explains that God will not forget them. That even in the midst of this, when they're crying out in despair, when death has touched their family doorstep and, and their hopes and dreams lie in ruin, Israel says, God has not forgotten you. God will raise up a ruler, a, there will be a Jewish king that's raised up to restore and to repair and to bring back all that have been cast away. This Jewish king will rule the nation and bring peace and prosperity back to Israel. All the hopes and all the dreams will be restored to Israel and her borders will be safe and secure. He'll be from the lineage, the house, the line of King David and he'll rule forever and ever. Amen. So what's interesting about this prophecy, if you just look at it at a cursory glance, maybe some of us grew up in church and we've, we've heard this scripture before, we've read it. We know how this story ends. We know that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And yet, if you just read it, a simple reading of this is, is interesting because it looks like Isaiah actually got it wrong. Actually, like, he he missed part of this prophecy. Yeah, Jesus came Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was born in the house of David along the lineage and line of David. But it looks like it's it's the foretelling collapses. It it looks like it happens all at once. And part of it didn't happen. And so Isaiah missed it. Right. If we didn't know better, we would be tempted to say he messed it up. And that like it's good that he got some of it right. But some of it is like what's where's the rest of it? Jesus came, but he's not ruling and reigning. In Israel forever, right? Like that, he came, but then he died. So, what's up with that? So, this prophecy is interesting because what happens a lot of time in biblical prophecy is that two uh, or more kind of timelines are collapsed on itself. And so, there's a partial fulfillment, and that yet there's part of it that still needs to be fulfilled. But if you're just looking at it at the time of Isaiah or at the time of Jesus, it doesn't make sense. Hence, why a lot of people missed that Jesus was the Messiah. They they knew the prophecy. They were looking for the Messiah, for the deliverer, and when he died, they go, Well, he's not the one. Or did Isaiah miss it? Or what's going on here? It's kinda of like if you if you read a, a map of topography. Have you ever gone like on a hike or something or pulled a, you know, hit the different layers on Google Maps and you pulled it up and it's all these wiggly squiggly lines surrounding hills and mountains and things? If you look at that, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's one-dimensional. It just looks like there's lines that are, that are wiggling in different distances from each other. And it's like, until you are either trained to read a map like that, or unless you show up to the foothills of the mountain, and then you hold the map up to it, you can see there's different distances that the map is trying to represent. And you can see that the different wiggles and squiggles represent the foothills and the gullies and the ridges and the mountaintops, tops, Right? Prophecy is kind of like that. If you look at it with with a one-dimensional focus, you can miss the the multi-dimensional layers that God has baked into it. Where in the prophecy of Isaiah, specifically in in chapter 9 here, he's talking about both Jesus' first coming and also his second coming. He's talking about two different timelines that seem to be put together and promised that it's going to be fulfilled together. But a prophetic understanding of, of, of Bible prophecy understands it's multi-layered and multi-dimensional. that it invites people into, not just read it one-dimensionally, but it actually invites people into the story, to walk the foothills and to hike the mountains for themselves. Okay? So all that said, um, there's wisdom in God's plan in doing it this way. There's an anticipation that it builds. The partial fulfillment should awaken hearts. To say, when is the next step? When is the next timeline that this is going to be fulfilled? And there's actually a wisdom in God's plan. So that he separated Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And it's for our benefit that he did that. I mean, if Jesus would have come in the first century, right? Zero A.D., whenever that was. And that he would have come and he was born as a baby and then he was raised up and he fulfilled all the Davidic promises. And he then came maybe as his second act right back uh, back then, he came right away back from from uh, uh, splitting the, the the sky open and riding on the clouds of heaven, we wouldn't be here right now. It's for our benefit that God has separated timelines in his plan to invite us to be reconciled to Jesus and to be welcomed back into his family. It made no sense to the, the, the Jews reading this But it makes all the sense for us as his church. And he's so merciful and so gracious as to wait and to prolong his coming so that people all over the world can hear the good news of Jesus and be welcomed in and reconciled into his family. So what's even more interesting is that there's not just two advents of Christ. There's actually three that this kind of touches on. But let's do a deep dive here. Okay? Each one of these advents, or advent just means coming, or the anticipation of someone's arrival, right? Each one of these is meaningful to us, and each one has an application because it's good news for us. So the first and most obvious for us today is the first coming of Jesus, his first advent as a child born in Bethlehem. So as it was said to the shepherds keeping watch at night in Luke chapter 2, by the way, I'll never do as good of a job as Linus does in the Peanuts Christmas special. But this is what he reads when, it's, when he's asked, what is the meaning of Christmas? Here's what he says. An angel, and this is what Luke says about Jesus more importantly. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, keeping watch at night. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths, and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the first coming of Jesus, obviously, is... Is good news for us because salvation has come to earth. It's good news because it disrupts sin and death and Satan and says they will not have the last word. Jesus being born in the incarnation is a mystery, all, mystery of all mysteries that we can ponder and we will ponder ponder on into eternity. Billions and billions of years will still ask for the 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 you know, metaphysical components of how did God become a baby? Actually, like run the science by me together. I want to know how did you come up with that? That's amazing. Like, have you ever put like a, uh, uh, you know, an acorn in a pot and like watch it? There's a point at which that tree is going to like outgrow the pot. And yet Jesus grew in wisdom and stature before God and before humans Somehow God became flesh. He he moved into the neighborhood is what the message Bible says in John 1. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And forever Jesus is a human. It's not like Jesus went back to heaven and is like, oh, I can't wait to not be a person anymore. I can't wait to not be a man anymore. No, forever God has humbled himself to our form. And billions and billions of years we will be pondering, why did you do that? How did you do that? And the answer he will give us always is, "I did it for love, and I did it for you." So it's good news for us to know that salvation has come to planet Earth, and all of this will be undone with love, has been done undone with love and sacrifice, which is the way of the kingdom of God. Okay, Tish Harrison Warren says this in her book Advent. I've taken a, a lot of this framework from this book. Um, she is an author. She's a priest in the Anglican Church. She's a phenomenal um, uh, author and speaker. She says this in her book: Jesus. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, the second Advent. Let me just say this: the second Advent of Christ is the second coming. When he comes at the end of the age where he splits the sky, when he comes with all of his angels to set up his rule and reign on this earth, it's been told by the prophets and the writers of the New Testament and by Jesus himself that when he comes again, he'll come on the clouds, he'll come in the sky, every eye will see him, everyone will be moved. He'll split the sky and at that time he'll judge the living and the dead and every person will get their reward according to justice, truth, and equity. And this is good news because again, salvation has come and, and death and disease and the in between time that we live on in will not go on forever. Again, okay. Now she says this, Tish Harrison Warren in her book, Jesus is coming. This time, not as a vulnerable baby, but as a powerful and conquering king, a merciful and just judge to subdue sin and death and to birth a new world. Death will be undone. Tears will be wiped away. The tree of life whose leaves will bring the healing of nations will be the divine answer to the tree that brought, de- brought destruction in the first pages of Genesis. Humanity will dwell again with God in a restored Eden. So that's why when the, when the writers of the New Testament invite us to pray, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's, it's to set up his rule and reign, but it's not to just have a new world power that takes out the old one or whatever. It's that death and sin and tears and anxiety and poverty and disease will all be done away with under his power and in his grace. So this is good news for us, for those of us who are struggling with injustice in the world. Those of us who uh, see the news cycles and read in the paper that it just seems like people, bad people get away with bad things. And it would not always be that way. Jesus knows all. Jesus sees all. And Jesus will judge all with justice and righteousness and truth. Okay? But there's one more advent. There's an in-between advent for us. This advent of Christ is sandwiched between these two events. These, the the first coming of Jesus and the, and this second coming of Jesus on the day of Pentecost Jesus poured out his spirit so that the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and they will prophesy he said Jesus also instructed in John fourteen that his, he was uh, to to equip them to understand that he was going to go away but it was better for them for him to go away because then he was going to send his spirit. And his spirit would dwell, would live in all of those who call upon God and call upon Jesus, the Savior and Lord in their lives. So the Holy Spirit for followers of Jesus lives inside of us, bringing guidance, wisdom, discernment. He gives spiritual gifts to equip the church. That's you and that's me. That's everyday people with everyday strengths and everyday foibles. He gives us gifts so that we can build up and serve one another in the body of Christ. And we can reach out and share the good news with those that don't know Jesus. So we are blessed with these practices uh, as we gather and as we scatter. Jesus has has visited us in the day with his spirit. Poured out now on the day of Pentecost, those 2,000 years ago. These everyday practices that he's gifted us with, they're called a means of grace. They're the sacraments. We're, we're blessed with the scriptures that we can read together, that we can hear taught together. We're blessed to receive baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are everyday means of Jesus' presence being given to us. So this is good news for those of us who feel like we're barely hanging on in life. Those of us who feel like we're losing our grip, maybe on reality Sometimes. What's up and what's down, we're not sure. Jesus has actually given us us tangible practices that we can do together to maintain a grip on God's grace. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren, again in her book, says this, Advent is also the time when we recall that Christ comes to us actually and tangibly through the means of grace. That these are called the means of grace reminds us that grace is not a free-floating force, much less a warm, warm, spiritual feeling, untethered from the earth and human history. Instead, grace is the reality that God is at work, and his work is most often through earthly things. These means of grace are the reliable ways in which we know Christ in the present. They are sturdy crags. Now check this out. They are sturdy crags, handholds that allow us to continue in the way of Christ and offer us the presence of Christ week in and week out. So what she's saying is, when we take the Lord's Supper, When we celebrate baptism, even when we open the scripture and we study Jesus from them, they are handholds for us to grab onto in in this Advent season where things are, you know, Thanksgiving just happened and it's going to feel like next week Christmas is here, right? Is anybody having that feeling of like, whoa, end of year, it's coming, it's happening, right? These are sturdy handholds for us to grab onto, to practice, to slow down. To reflect on Jesus, to reflect on his work, his second coming, and in the everyday presence, alongside with his birth, his incarnation. Okay? In this in-between time of Jesus' first and second coming, there's a strong tension we hold as the church, as the people of God. We're overjoyed at the unmerited grace we experience because Jesus has lavished his love upon us. But We are also not blind to the plight of the world. Wars, disease, and strife plague the nations of the world scarcity poverty and death knock at our neighbor's door and often anxiety loss and confusion are an intrusive guest in our own homes that's the tension that we feel that we inhabit as the people of God Fleming Rutledge again in her book Advent the disappointment brokenness suffering and pain that characterizes life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come in that Advent tension the church lives its life You see, God birthed a people on the day of Pentecost who would follow in the way of Jesus. And because God knew that there would be a separation from Jesus' first coming and his second coming in the sky to set up his rule and reign, God wanted a people to inhabit the already and the not yet. What had happened but was yet to come. You see, you've been equipped by the Holy Spirit. You've been invited in to this dramatic tension. feels dramatic sometimes, doesn't it? You've been invited to, to be the people of God in this t- tension for the sake of the world. You've been invited in to be conformed to the ways of Jesus. To say no to our flesh. To say no to the fallen nature of ourself. And to say yes to the way of Jesus that's demonstrated in love and in sacrifice for the sake of others. God wanted a people According to his plan to inhabit that in-between space. And we're it. If you follow Jesus, he has given you what you need to overcome. He has given you what you need. He's given you the grace, the sturdy handholds, so that you can find your place in the story and practice it day in and day out. You are the people that he has called to complete his plan. And at the end of the age, Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom in full. Okay? In this in-between time, we practice waiting, right alongside our spiritual ancestors, pleading for God to do something about the threats that we face. We await a king who can right every wrong, fill every stomach, and banish every disease. Joy and sorrow intermingle here now, as the refrain that has echoed throughout church history spills from our own lips, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That is the season of Advent that we're in. Okay? And with that, I want to invite you to stand. I'd like to invite the worship team and the communion servers up as well. And here's a question I want to, to pose to you. Simply for you to reflect on, maybe hold on to this week to put this into practice. Which of the three advents of Christ do you need to reflect on most? Maybe it's his first coming. Maybe it's the, the anticipation and waiting of the people of Israel for deliverance. And a celebration of this new baby boy that's been born as a gift to this world. Maybe it's the second coming. Maybe focusing on the second coming of Jesus seems odd or weird or strange. Tish Harrison Warren said that we need to make Advent strange again. So I kind of like that. But thinking about the second coming, when Jesus comes to right every wrong, maybe that's something that will give us hope. Maybe that was, is something that gives us joy and something to look forward to. Or maybe it's the, this third in-between coming. It's the in-between coming of the Spirit to invite us as the people of God to inhabit this place and this time and to manage that tension and to wait ourselves. So which is it for you? What, which part of this do you need to reflect on? And what would God have you do about that? Okay. Thank you for listening to the Mosaic Church podcast. For more teachings, resources, and other news, please visit mosaicmhk.com.